Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. Back after the international break, Dan here, along with Michael Normanson and Phil Hay from The Athletic. The show is powered by West Yorkshire Electrical. I think you did that last time. Stumbled across that line last time. Still, go. still going with it. It's still good. Yeah, still enjoying that. So um, thanks to West Yorkshire Electrical for their support on the show. Services they offer include... Solar panels, battery storage for your solar panels, electric vehicle charging points, security cameras that's you, what they're oh, called CCTV you were doing so doing so well uh, LED oh, lighting all the usual stuff school contracting as well whatever it is that you want to uh, do that's got wires in it they will work with it uh, West Yorkshire Electrical it's the name of the company wyelectrical.co.uk is the website you'll find them on socials as well tell them we sent you and they'll be pleased let's get on to the uh, onto the show then shall we gentlemen and back after the international break as we mentioned nice to be back happy Thanksgiving as well to our American viewers slash listeners um, happy Rotherham Eve to everybody else. Looking forward to getting back into the action? Yeah, very much so. It's been a quiet couple of weeks. It's quite quiet at Leeds generally, actually, now. It's quite difficult getting used to the sensation of no takeovers, no need for a head coach, no players trying to get out, no players needing to come in. It's been, from the end of August onwards, pretty steady. But you always find this in the, the first half of the season, that it just seems to be interlude after interlude, and it was slightly different Last season, because of the World Cup, although obviously we then got a massive interlude um, over November and December, but it um, the international breaks do fall pretty regularly. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely ready to get back into it. And Leeds in good shape, I think, at this point. Yeah, there is some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff uh, that's happened. We have a new chief strategy officer in the name of uh, Robbie Evans, who's previously with San Francisco 49ers from the Bay Area, so very much in uh, in keeping with the brand. Uh, job is to oversee the institutionalization of a data-centric, forward-looking strategy for long-term success of the football club with a focus on using data analysis to support player recruitment, in-game tactics, player development and player fitness. So that's, I think that's quite interesting, isn't it? There's a lot of, obviously, like, like management CV speak on there. But um, the words that jump out to me are data. So mm-hmm. they're going to try and use data, big data, presumably not the, the little stuff. And it's play recruitment, in-game tactics... Um, development and player fitness. So it's all kind of on the on the the playing side. Yeah, it is institutionalized as well. I think good word for Leeds United for our but fan he, base. It is yes. yeah, yeah, and journalists. <laughs> um, it, it's it is it's an extension of what the Forty ers were planning, which is to to create what they would see as a proper managerial structure beyond the, the dugout, obviously, um, at the club, but far more in keeping with what you tend to see in the states with NFL franchises, ice hockey, baseball, and all of that. It, it's it is much of a broader team at that level um, than Leeds have, have ever had. Even through the Radrazani era, you had that core of Radrazani himself and Angus Kinnear and Victor Orta. And you did have others around like Paul Bell, but you felt like it was those three who were pretty much running the show. And and while you do have, obviously, Marathi right at the top of this as, as chairman, there are more and more people now underneath who are covering different bases. Um, so whereas Maury Eisenberg, who came in a few weeks ago as, as chief operating officer, is going to be, I think, far more on the business side of things. It is quite interesting that Evans is going to be essentially on the player side by the sounds of things. You know, it was noticeable with Eisenberg that him and the 49ers went back um, quite a long way, had worked together previously. The same is true of um, of Robbie Evans as well, particularly involved in the, the building of the Levi Stadium for the 49ers over in Santa Clara. And needless to say, the plans are fit for, for the expansion of Ellen Road, which I think both he and, and um, Eisenberg would be involved in quite heavily. You have vast amounts of data used in American sport and, and the 49ers were always going to try and revolu- revolutionise that side of things or certainly bring more up to date that side of things at Leeds. And so another appointment which I think broadens the, the senior management team and in their eyes will make Leeds far more professional and I, I, dare I say it, far more Premier League ready than they were last time. 
Well, with regards to the playing side, yeah, we are back in action on, on Friday night against Rotherham, who are sitting pretty lowly in the division. It's fairly typical of what they tend to do after they come up, is they, they gurgle around the plug hole again and jump between the uh, the two divisions. Uh, a game Leeds absolutely should be winning. Um, no two ways about it. And I don't I don't think it's in any way arrogant to to say that going into this game. No, I don't think it is. Um, it, it's the same argument that we applied to the Plymouth game, really, which is that these are kind of bread, bread and butter fixtures that say to go up or say to go very close to promotion, tend to win regularly and, and tend to win well. At Rotherham have had the odd good result. I think the best of them was probably that draw at home to Ipswich, given the standard of the opposition and how good Ipswich have been. But they've had some desperate ones as well. And the, the worst of them was the, the 5-0 defeat to Watford um, the weekend before the international break, which did for, for Matt Taylor, their manager. I was having a look at that game and it looked to me like he'd switched tactically from his typical four at the back to five at the back or three at the back, you know, I think what, what in the end would have been a, a five-man defence. And I think on the basis that you make such a big tactical switch and it works that badly, it's always likely to be the end of the line if you're struggling anyway. And I can imagine, without second-guessing exactly what they were thinking, I can imagine the board at Rotherham thinking to themselves, this doesn't look like it's going to um, fix itself. Or it doesn't look like he's particularly going to fix it. So at the moment, there has been some talk about Steve Evans um, over the past fortnight, who is obviously well known to Rotherham, not to mention Leeds, but um, they're in caretaker hands at the minute. Too early for Neil Warnock still. You would think so. I saw him. Oh, I saw a piece um, saying he'd been on a podcast talking about how he almost went to Hearts back in the day and would love to manage in Scotland, which tend to be plenty of opportunities to do so. But yeah, you're right. Rotherham in relegation trouble kind of has Warnock written all over it, really, doesn't it? Although he did do, um, I think it was an interview with Sky Sports, I'm going to say, and he has said exactly what we prophesied, which is he doesn't really fancy a job until um, after the January window is closed. <laughs> Get Christmas out of the way first. So we can spend Christmas at home with Sharon. Last three months of the season. Well, I suppose the thing about that stage of the season is that you can properly assess who has a realistic chance. You know, you can tell whether you think you've got enough enough games left, given the number of points you need to have a proper crack at it. I suppose if you get involved at this early stage, it can still get out of hand. Um, so maybe maybe he will do that. You would think as well that if Rotherham in any way wanted to be kind of progressive and still kind of ambitious about where they're going, that they might think differently. If it is Steve Evans, if they can get him in time, he has beaten us on a Friday night before there. Oh, go on. When uh, it was when... Oh, was uh, it when, when Adrian made his debut yeah, in, that, in that game? That was that was Steve Evans. The in mighty, charge, the mighty Milinich. Yeah, would Evans have ever guessed at that point that the job was going to be his further down the line? And but I think he's quite quite well thought of at Rotherham, and it went pretty well for him there. But having said that, I don't think Stevenage would be rushing to get rid of him there because for all that there's criticism from Evans, he's done a pretty good job for them. Did you catch anything of the Rotherham Ipswich game? Which yes. was it was the rearranged one during midweek, wasn't it? I found myself annoyingly invested in that, hoping that Ipswich would drop points and. Yeah, I thought Rotherham on the back foot, particularly late on, couldn't really withstand the pressure that Ipswich were putting on them. I, but I guess you're always at the mercy of somebody putting their foot through the ball and striking it into the into the net as as Rotherham did. It was a good uh, good finish to make it two two, wasn't it? And I cheered it. Well, it's a good point for them. You messaged me right after the game saying that's a big result, and I kind of felt I think was it November the third or something like that, and I did think, God, it's a bit early for that. But then having said that, over the past few weeks we've been watching the Leeds getting chipped away at the top after the win at Leicester and then Leicester losing at Middlesbrough as well. So it's funny how quickly that kind of perception of what's going on elsewhere starts to to really kick in, which you don't have in August, September, because you don't pay... I think we probably paid a little bit more attention to it this time round because of how good Leicester and, and Ipswich were early on. But at the bottom of the table, you've got some pretty obviously weak sides, I think, who are very limited in what they're able to do and limited in the, the choice, of, choice of players. It's the depth of the squad. Huddersfield, I would say, are as bad as we've seen this season and I think we'll do pretty well to to stay out of it but Rotherham you would assume are going to be in trouble all year will be there or thereabouts as, as they say and as you, you put it you know I don't think it's particularly arrogant to go into this game thinking should win it have to win it Yeah the the exchange of messages it was Tuesday the 7th of November I think the original game was, was supposed to be a Friday night wasn't it I sent to you a uh, big result that one two points from Birmingham and Rotherham is a surprise in relation to Ipswich mm-hmm. uh, and your reply was well there wasn't one you just ignored me Oh, right, okay. Yeah, well, well that's his old, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> fairly, yeah. Standard, fairly standard approach, <laughs> Phil, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I was sat there going, no, it's, it's first bed, week in November. Bedside. Get on with it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have a wee dram and go to bed, ignore that idiot. <laughs> but I, I, I am, I remember going back years in the Championship of sitting, particularly kind of February, March time, and this was always when Leeds tended to finish 15th, 14th, 13th. So you were in that zone February, March, where you had to start winning games and teams had to start doing you a favour. 
And I can remember many a season sitting Tuesday nights on the sofa, follow if it wasn't the telly, following it on Sky Sports app or the BBC or whatever else. And yeah, desperately hoping for goals to go in here, there and, and everywhere, but not generally in the first week in November. I will say though, but it was more about, I think, um, not allowing that gap to keep opening up and opening yeah. up and opening up. And we are starting to gradually claw them back in. And, and I guess with us being the Friday night game, I know Daniel Farker, um, and we are recording ahead of the press conference, I should say, Daniel Farker did complain about the scheduling, didn't he, of this one and the fact that they're going to have to bring people back early from the international break to all intents and purposes um, to be on schedule with this match. But it's an interesting chance to lay down a marker to Ipswich and Leicester, isn't it, going into the weekend? It is. So a potential advantage in that sense. I, I can see why he would rather it wasn't like this. He, he was saying after the, the win over Plymouth that the chances were certain players would come back and wouldn't be able to have a full training session um, because of international duty. And because of the need to get down to Rotherham and just the way that you structure the week um, before you play. The only thing I would say is that I don't think the scheduling for Leeds has been unfair to this point. I can think of periods in the past where it's been far worse. Um, they have had some quite tight turnarounds. I don't think it's affected them massively um, or, or particularly negatively to this point. So whereas I do, I know people think Klopp moans a lot about various things, but whereas I do kind of sympathise with Liverpool about the number of times they seem to get the, the half 12 slot on a Saturday after the international break. It, it does it does seem to be massive disparity there. I don't think this is too unfair. Don't, don't enable them, Phil. No, and, I know. And also, I know, the half 12 slot, are you, are, you really more, are you really more full of energy at three versus half 12? Well, possibly, I would argue that makes zero difference whatsoever. Uh, it's just something else for Klopp to moan about. Well, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it is. But it would seem a little bit fairer, wouldn't it, if um, there was a, a slight mix-up and a rotation of, of who was getting dropped into into that slot. But we digress. I, I don't see why a Friday, a Friday night date at Rotherham is going to massively affect Farker's team. And do you know what? It does have the added benefit of going into a midweek game against Swansea with an extra day's rest then, it doesn't does, it? Yeah, so and, it? And with Swansea being on, on the Wednesday... As well, so you're right. Yeah, yeah, swings and roundabouts. I mean, that, looking at what's going on in the international break, they they had Archie Gray back earlier from England duty. Um, obviously, Klopp's pretty unhappy. Ev Klopp, sorry, Farker was pretty <laughs> unhappy. Um, both German um, about the way uh, Gray had been handled by the the under 19s. I think, by anybody's estimation, had played far too many minutes for them um, in that that international break. It's a hard balance because already. Gray's moved into the under-20s, you know, the, the elite bracket of that. Um, and given that he's only 17, he's quite obviously making big strides and, and has the potential to make really big strides internationally. So Leeds and Farker do have to manage both aspects of that. They cannot say to him, just just ignore your international commitments or walk them down to a level where you're not really making any impact. He has to keep making progress on that front. But they do need him and he is young and he has played an awful lot of minutes this season. But he played once for the for the under twenties um, against Italy. It appears that there was an agreement between the club and country for him not to play anymore, which I think is a good thing. The frustration for Farker will not be, I think, that he's worried about players coming back being out of condition unless anybody's picked up injuries um, in in the meantime. It'll be about the lack of preparation time, but that always tends to be the case. The international break, and if you have a lot of international players, then. By definition, you tend to have a bit of an advantage on a lot of clubs in the rest of the division rather than being one. Yeah, I mean, you could always just adopt the Frank Lampard approach to preparation, which is just to tell them to go out there and win. Yeah. Which is what he used to do, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I, to- I, told, I, told, I, would... I told them to be better and they didn't listen yeah, to me. Yeah, that's certainly what I would do if I was a coach. Yeah. yeah. Like, you're the footballers. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, as I mentioned, we are recording ahead of Farkas press conference, but this will come out afterwards. We'll address any surprises that may happen in the weekly show when me and Michael and Rob get together tomorrow. So we'll we'll pick up any surprises there. But what is the sort of general state of the squad that we know about? Are we have we got Jed Spence maybe back in contention soon? Spence cannot be far away, I wouldn't have thought, but it will depend on where he where he is with match fitness. We were asking Farker before the break about him and, and I I I'd have asked him, is that the one big frustration of this season that you've not really had him to use at all? You know, I know he got those ten minutes on his debut off off the bench, but since then we haven't seen anything of him. And I I do I I constantly feel like he could be a huge asset at right back and should be if you consider his, his form at Forest when he last played in the league. So we'll get an update on him. Cannot, like I say, I don't think can be too far away. It didn't sound after the um, Plymouth game like Byron was going to be fit for this game. Um, he did his hamstring the second half against Plymouth, although Leeds were kind of at pains to stress that it wasn't a recurrence of the kind of serious problem that he had at Norwich or the, the, the problem that it required an operation. It was just a kind of standard 
strain and a fairly minor one at that. I don't think there's any chance they'll be seeing Pascal Stroik either after his um, after his hernia hernia operation. Um, it was quite interesting actually speaking to Byron. I interviewed him just before the Plymouth game, which was obviously the jinx and the kiss of death. And we'd said in the office, hopefully he doesn't get injured in the meantime so that it doesn't scupper the piece completely. But we were talking a lot about his hamstring injury and the fact that he'd come back out of contract. First time he'd been out of contract in his um, in his career. Coming back to a club who he'd left in sort of slightly acrimonious circumstances, although I think, whereas you can argue the toss over which players are right to go, which which players aren't, who showed disloyalty, who actually did the right thing. Well, I was going to say, contrast it with Charlie Taylor's departure and the manner in which that was handled, and Byron feels different. It does feel different, but it is... It came from the same origin, though, didn't it? it like did, uh, the contract which, offer. Which was and, that the contracts yeah. that were getting offered were were on reduced terms, and as Byron put it, much worse terms from Massimo Cellino at the time. Cellino had it in his head when he bought the club that the wage bill needed to come down massively and he wanted to cut it down to around about £30 million. And I remember people at the club at the time saying, it's totally his prerogative to do that. And it kind of makes sense for a club who aren't in great financial a great financial state. But you aren't going to get promoted with a wage bill of £30 million quid. It just isn't enough in that league. You know, so you, you have to kind of you have to kind of suck up the fact that if you do that, you, you're going to finish outside the playoffs most likely. Byram's argument was that Chilean had offered him a poor deal, which he didn't want to accept, which I think is fair enough. But also that there was no suggestion at that point that Leeds were anywhere near getting promoted. It was just turnover of manager after manager, coach after coach. And I think he just felt like he he, he had more ambition than that, that he had more potential than that. And he, he, and he wanted to realise it. But I did think it was, I did find it quite striking that he said, Given my time again, had I known that they were going to get promoted in 2020 and that it was going to go in that direction, then I would probably have made a, a different decision. But, you know, to use his words, you can only go on the facts, can't you? You can only go on what you know, not what you're assuming. And by no stretch in that period, and even going back, you know, four or five years earlier, is he the only player who looked at what was going on at Leeds and said the promises of how this would look if it was, if potential was realised and the club were all they could be is not the same as what they actually are. Snodgrass used to say that. He used to say people kept saying to me, we'll see you on the way down. But then, you know, what was it like eight years later? You know, he'd, he'd had eight years in the Premier League and Leeds were finally getting promoted. It, it wasn't quite like that. I think the difference with Taylor was that he left at the end of a season where it felt like something was maybe building and there was a chance for it. Whereas when Byron left, oh, there was a bit of a shrug of the shoulders and like, yeah, it's kind of don't blame you. So you, you save yourself. Go and, go and have a career if you can. Yeah, that's probably true. I just feel with Taylor that his kind of refusal to play in that game against Wigan doesn't really strike me as the same as Nonto's refusal to play, you know, in, in various matches back in August. People might disagree with this, but Leeds weren't going to get promoted on that afternoon. It was the last game of the season. They needed something like a 14-15 goal swing to beat Fulham to the last um, playoff place. And I think in the circumstances, it would have made far more sense for everybody to say, look, it makes no sense for Taylor to risk getting injured. It's not a game that's going to dictate the season. Don't play and play someday else. Everybody move on quietly. And when I, when I look back now, I don't think the need to dig him out quite in the way that, that Monk did afterwards was necessarily there. Um, I can understand why Monk would have been annoyed by it and probably annoyed as well, given that at that stage, there was still a suggestion that Monk would stay on, that he was going to lose a really, really good left back who was really competent in the championship. But it was all a bit weird and I think it was all a bit avoidable. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Let's close the circle then on left-backs, Sam Byram and Willie Nonso. Laura has sent us this question. Hi guys, I was just wondering what your take would be on the January transfer window. Uh, there's already a big rumour mill with Willie Nonto and the fact that he's wanting to get away again and whether or not we would truly be bothered about whether or not he left uh, and where else we might like to strengthen uh, left back potentially. Uh, Sam Byron's been great, Furpo, mm, but both injury prone. So uh, where would we like to strengthen? Thanks, guys. Cheers. Poor Junior. Has there ever been a better review of him than Furpo? <laughs> I was mm. going to say two, two bits from that. Um, the first was Furpo. Mm. The second bit, and probably the bit that jumped out most, was the way that, that Laura put that of would the club be bothered if none to left? I sort of think is the way that a lot of the fan base are kind of feeling with none to. I, I, it's hard to tell what's going on there. And... One thing that is apparent is that as the season's gone on, other players have replaced Nonto as being first-choice wingers and kind of essential to the team. Somerville and James, I think, absolutely nailed down for the, the spots out wide at the moment if, if they are fit. And there will, I think, still be some lingering concern about what went on in August and about the way it all played out. I thought Farker handled it really well at the time. It was a difficult situation and did his best to resolve it to make sure that it, it was fixed in a way that, that he wanted it to to be fixed but you did always wonder whether it was slightly temporary and whether this might come back up again and it feels to me and I suppose you go back to the quote about from Farker about Nonto where he said he can have a second chance but there won't be a third chance and I do just wonder if this was to get going again in January if people might say look enough's enough with this and perhaps it is time that we just took the money sold him got a good price for him that I think will depend massively on Nonto I think if Nonto doesn't agitate and Nonto seems content and, and keeps his head down, then I'd be a little surprised if anything happens. But if it starts to rumble again, I do think that the attitude of a lot of people, you tell me if I'm wrong or if you think differently, but the attitude of a lot of people might be, why don't we just resolve this and get somebody else? I do tend to agree with that being the sentiment. I do wonder about the wisdom of taking what is a known quantity and moving him out, unless there's a good reason for it in terms yeah. of maybe this is it brings in a sum of money that they can then repurpose on getting a number 10, maybe getting a left back, that kind of thing. I think I think just moving him out because he's been a bit grumpy is not necessarily a good enough reason on its own. I think given we've got a surplus of players in his position, you could accept it more. If it came to, if it was Ethan Ampadu, for example, in these circumstances and you, you can't see a direct replacement from him in the team, I think people would be more hesitant to let him leave. But as, a, as he's not a starter necessarily and hasn't done brilliantly from the bench, I don't know. I, Do feel, we, like, I feel like there'd be there's an option for him to leave that maybe there wasn't before because now we've seen Dan James can do it. The way I see it with Nonto is that the best case scenario would be that he stays to the end of the season, Leeds get promoted and then he gets what he wants which is Premier League football and then again you probably at that point washed away the sort of poison of what was going on in August and he's able to properly focus on playing at a level that he wants to to be playing at and and you then have a really good asset because he is massively talented Nonto. There's no question about, about that. But I just thought it was—I thought it was quite interesting that that Laura used that phrase. Would the club be bothered? Because it suggests that other people are out there. It's just a bit of fatigue about the Nonto stuff, doesn't it? You know, yeah, that's if, the right word. That yeah. if it starts up again, people will probably say, "Piss sick of this," because it you does know, feel disruptive. Given what we might say that, but yeah, because we've got momentum behind us. But I guess then there's also it's balancing off the the fact that by being disruptive in the summer, that's what he was aiming to do. He was aiming to make it such a distraction, so they just went get rid of him, sell him. It's trying to force the move, isn't it? And I guess it's kind of a, it'd be a lower key repetition of that, excuse me, of that, where the club just goes, well, there's momentum building here. We're trying to get promoted. Do we yeah. really need this distraction? So it's kind of, is, are you bowing to the player power then? It, it would be far better to get through January without selling anybody. And I said, and I was writing a, a couple of, well, a week or so back about the fact that actually what happens in January in terms of retentions suddenly seems to matter far more than the summer for, for all that there was the constant talk about, can they keep Adams? Can they keep Harrison? You know, others like yeah, Max Verber and so on 
it doesn't feel like it's been a damaging effect losing any of them. If anything, it feels like it's cleansed the dressing room and, and the, the atmosphere a little bit. But you could go from front to back in this team and run through players that Farker can't afford to lose and, and who I think he would absolutely be saying to the board, I can't afford to lose these players. You know, Rodon, I mean, Rodon's on loan. There's no recall clause there, so so he should stay. But yeah, Ampadu, absolutely. Kamara, Somerville, even James, you know, had been really influential. But, but Rita, to fl- to flip, obviously. But to flip that on its head, Phil, and look at it through a, a positive lens, it's a sign of uh, a good season and a coach who's Absolutely. making the most of what no, he's got, isn't it? Th- this is the point, you see. So he's built a team that's massively effective. And the last thing that should happen in January is that it starts to get disrupted. Because I think if you take players out of this team, the disruption will be will be fairly major. I have to say, I don't really see that happening. I don't get the doesn't sense... doesn't feel like it, No, it? I don't get the sense that Leeds are under pressure. Financially, um, on that front, I, I was having a look back through Kinnear's interview with you back in September. And he said quite openly in that, if we get to the end of year one and we're not promoted, then we're going to have to think about selling players because, from a PNS point of view, there will be, you know, there will be books to balance, there will be accounts to to sort out. But you read into that that in this season, the players they had, the resources they had, they would be able to hang on to. The, the thing that that could potentially change that is obviously really, really big bids that come in. But it will be, I think, quite refreshing to be able to either reject them or think about them from a position of strength as opposed to, as was the case in the summer, basically every bid that came in, give or take, you were having to say, well, we've no choice but to accept that because of the, the terms of, of players' contracts. As for the window itself, I mean, I would favour nobody going in January, to be quite honest, unless it's people who are really, really fringe. I think there'd probably be questions asked about Charlie Creswell because, you know, Leeds seemed open to selling him a year ago last January. He hasn't played much since then. You know, he strikes me as somebody who would want minutes. Shackleton too, I know he is kind of in the mix, but starting to get towards the end of his contract. And this season seems to be in the same situation that he's been in for a long time, which is that he's got a coach who likes him and rates him and loves his energy and everything else, but actually isn't using him that much. We don't really know where he fits. Yeah, Yeah. he's he's kind of, Um, he gets put in uh, right back and then left back. Ideally, he's a midfielder in his mind, maybe. Yeah, kind of odd scenario where it's not as if he's been told you aren't good enough, you know, quite the opposite. He's just not really getting used anywhere near as much as, as he would like to. I agree about left back or the sort of full back areas generally, you know, is the cover there, um, depending on how Spence recovers and how Spence gets into the team. And I think a bit about the 10 position as well. And I always say that on the basis that they would have done Amiri um, in the last week of the window, had Amiri not messed about at the last minute and and um, the club pulled out of that, it tells you that Farker would have liked a little bit more there. In, in terms of options, I don't mean more than Piro, but I mean in terms of having choice. Do you think Amiri's agent's been back on the phone since? Or is that is that one well and truly... I was going to say, I almost want it to happen so we can see what the um, the spin is like, you know, from, both from his point of view. Yes, he sits, yeah, down, be great sits down and does the, does the welcome interview. <laughs> and also the, the reaction of the crowd yeah. who, you know, probably won't quite know how to, to address that one. And then standard scenario where if Amiri comes in and is absolutely brilliant, people go, oh, well, never mind. Like that. You know, that's, that's all fine. I might be wrong, but Farker does... You know, the whole second chance, third chance thing with Nonto Farka doesn't strike me as somebody who gives players a huge amount of rope on that front. It would seem pretty weird. Unless Amiri can paint it as, it wasn't me, it was somebody else who was advising on this and, you know, I made a mistake, blah, blah, blah. It, it felt like those bridges were totally, totally burned the way it went in, I mean, who, in August. Anybody who's got siblings, and I don't, I'm an only child, but um, anybody who's got siblings, at some point your sibling has told you to, to do something stupid and you've done it. Go he's jump off that garage roof. He's not that young, though, is he? You know, not for what, man, man in his 20s. Oh, you know, like, I don't know. In, in, football, in football, you seem to apply you seem to apply leeway that people just don't get in normal life. You know, if you were in work at the age of 25, something messing about, somebody would probably say, you're an adult, grow up. You know, but The number 10 is the most kind of seductive position to think about, isn't it, yeah. from a Leeds perspective? I know, you know we, they made a late move for like Ilias Chair at, at QPR. Is that something they may, might revisit? Or do you think maybe someone like Amiri or someone maybe... It, it feels a little bit to, more to me like they'll try and use the loan market if they can. They've got slots that are left over and that, that would kind of make sense. The challenge, I suppose, for anybody they sign is going to be convincing them that there's actually scope to play. Not only this season, but obviously if they go up and they have players tied to contracts, are they going to get a game in the Premier League it's not an easy team to get into I don't think um, and you can see that on the basis that Nonto's on the bench you know other really good players who are who are not in the 11 too regularly I personally think the Piro-Ruta thing is working 
don't you? I was going to say, given, I mean, it's a daft question, given number 10 is a position, but where does a number 10 actually fit into this team? Well, I think you could interchange with Pirro. I think there are other 10s who could play in there and it could it could work well. But I think there's always going to be a focus on Pirro's goals. And I think if Pirro scores loads of goals, people will feel like that's absolutely working and it's spot on. If he doesn't score goals, people do and have discussed his influence and, and tended to sway towards the idea that it's not quite functioning the way it needs to for him. But if you... For him it, for him, it's not, but the team it is. It's, it's the, the thing. point that we, Farker was trying to yeah, make. We, yeah. keep, we keep winning and I, yeah. I, I watched him a little bit more closely, I think, in recent weeks and he offers more than you realise. Yeah, I think he does. Even yeah. if it's just dropping deep and linking up because you see him coming right back into deep line midfield positions to pick up the ball and make stuff happen. Even if it's just to come and pull the opposition out of shape and lay it off again. Yeah. He's involved, even if it's not kind of an exciting thing. And the broader question is, and this was pretty much Farker's point at that press conference where he spoke about this and then promised to forever hold his peace until we all started asking again, was if the results are good, if we're scoring goals, if we're not conceding many, then what does it really matter? It was, it was the the point, the most interesting part of that was the point he was making about golden boot winners. The fact that he's worked with strikers before who've won the golden boot, but essentially saying and he did kind of say the same about Somerville's Player of the Month award as well. I'm not really interested in that. You know, I don't really care if individual player gets this accolade or that trophy, as long as it all works as a team. That's got to be the right way to. It's got to be the right way to go. No, I disagree. I like the arguments on Twitter with people endlessly debating who's the best player <laughs> yeah. in the world. I'm Mbappe, or is it Neymar, or is it Messi? You mean in the way that how nobody anyone, really... How can anyone be interested? <laughs> no, nobody really mentioned Matteo Joseph until he backheeled in that, um, <laughs> that, that goal. And then was flicking that goal and then it was suddenly, why isn't this guy getting more minutes? Yeah, then, um, then, he, then he's the answer, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but that, that, but, that is, but that's, that's the football fan's mindset, isn't it? It's it always is, the thing that's, is, not, yeah. that's not in the team or that's not happening. The, the answer is always the other. But they don't need an answer at the moment, do they? No. The team doesn't need an answer. It's, it's, doing, it's doing fine. Yes. I'd like us to continue doing fine. Yeah, yeah. I would suggest. Yeah. Right, just to wrap up a couple of other things, we've got um, Finlay Gorman. And is it worth just touching on um, Everton's points deduction? Because that's obviously generated a lot of heat, a lot of noise, um, and a lot of upset Everton fans. Yeah, shall I go Gorman first? Go Gorman if you want. Weirdly, and I should just make the point that he's not been in any way talking about any of this because he's he's far too decent and far too professional, is a good word. Um, but I found myself sat alongside Finlay Gorman's, the guy who... Um, who, him and his family provide digs for Finlay Gorman at my kickboxing class a couple of weeks ago which was dead weird which was around the time that it turned out that Gorman was going to Manchester City which has been mooted for a long time and is going to happen it needs to go through or needed to go through Premier League checks which it always does just to make sure that these things are above board and compliant because he, he is so young at 15 I mean he became a bit of a Twitter sensation didn't he it was the clips of him on various Twitter accounts that kind of alerted people to, to how talented he was. Leeds think that this is a, a British transfer record for a player of his age if everything goes to plan. And I should say that these are like long-term add-ons, so it's possible that Gorman doesn't really go anywhere with City, as can happen with young players, so they don't <laughs> earn what they, they would otherwise earn. But this could be worth £5 million plus um, to the club, which for a 15-year-old is a lot of money. And I know, especially where statistically most fifteen-year-olds don't I, make I think, it. I know he's a very, very exceptional talent, but I mean, on the the general sort of statistical yeah, front, yeah. Uh, that's one way that Leeds are looking at it and rationalising it. The other is that he is pre-scholar age at the moment. He's not seventeen, so you can't offer him a professional contract. He wants to go. He made it clear that he wanted to go. They knew they were going to lose him, and it was going to be a case of do we go to a compensation hearing or do we try and get a deal done with? City given that there were quite a few other clubs like Spurs and, and Liverpool interested as well so never satisfying to see really good kids go from your academy and I always think that given that Leeds Academy has been so productive over the years you would like to think that they could pretty much retain any player of, of you know of any great worth because they know and looking at Archie Gray again that they're probably likely to get through into the first team but this is how the land lies and you know the reality of the world is that City are loaded City can invest huge amounts in because uh, £5 million is a huge amount in, in a player like that potentially it, that's what they do you know the, Leeds have long felt the pressure from City from over the Pennines they're close the City know that there's a lot of good players who come through Leeds and, and that it's worth keeping an eye on not the first probably won't be the last yeah and Leeds do it to other clubs as well so Absolutely, it should, yeah. should be said yeah. so you're not allowed to offer pro contracts but they will offer essentially a promise of a contract won't they is the way that 
these things tend to work. It, it tends to be, yeah. I mean, I suspect with Archie Gray, for example, they knew he was so good that they would have been saying, and and if you look at the timing of it, it was pretty much, um, you know, pro deal done within days of him turning seventeen, and those things don't get to, tend to get negotiated. Those in candles a were belly. Those you candles know. were belly. That's Phil. that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. So nothing wrong with that, in in my view. But again, Leeds could only give him a certain length of contract because of his age. Players can be quite exposed when it comes to interest from other clubs before they kind of get to to 18 and and beyond. And to an extent, you're relying on their commitment, the kind of wish of their family for them to to stick around to make sure that, that you can keep them. Another of the problems with City, aside from the, you know, the money that they can offer, is that they take the players over to Eastlands. They have a look around. It's incredible. I mean, the, the, the facilities there are just, you know, off the scale. Yeah, it's, so, it's, the, it's the lifestyle they offer them as well, isn't yeah, it? That, sur- and, that surrounds it in terms of maybe like private tutoring, uh, the accommodation that they've got there. It's, it's going to be just by the nature of the money that Man City have got, probably levels above where Leeds can be at the minute. Yeah, and they see him as a sort of generational talent. They see him as pretty much the best of the best in England in, in his position. And I would think that at that age, it's very hard not to get seduced by the idea that they think an awful lot of me, this place is incredible. I could end up playing for City. I mean, where they end up playing for Guardiola is probably a moot point because how long does Guardiola stick around there? You know, does, is that all finished by the time you're coming through? But I think it's easy, isn't it, with club loyalty to sit and say, oh, I should just have stuck around. But I think if you're realistic about it, you can totally understand why somebody who has City all over them would think, I might just go for this. Yeah, I'm dead happy for him. <laughs> I, did, I, did see, I did see somebody on Twitter say, if he wants to go to City... Instead of instead of stay at Leeds, then he's dead to me, and I hope his career fails. And I was very impressed by the number of people who replied saying, "He's a fifteen-year-old boy." Well, <laughs> you know, and one of those parents roaring at the referees on the, yeah, the kids' Sunday so. league. I think so. Yeah. I, I get I get the sentiment because football fans, by nature, are tribalistic, aren't yeah, we? Absolutely, and it feels absolutely. like a slight, but it's like. This is just the way of the world, sadly. Um, and well, it's, you, it's, you know, are you going to let this stuff affect you personally? At a, at a lower level, it's the same as City dipping in to take Calvin Phillips, isn't it? We want him, we're going to have him. And look how that worked out, Gorman. Look how that worked <laughs> out. Um, let's wrap it up on Everton then and their points deduction. I can't get past the fact that, and I've read a whole report, I should say, by the way, yes. which it's it's quite lengthy. It's about like 40 pages or something You almost like have to read it all though. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it, it, some people have done really good jobs of condensing it and giving you sort of bullet points on it. But it's the it's the nuance and it's the exact nature of the points that you have to kind of get your head around, and it's pretty complex. Yeah, I was just going to say that I can't get past the fact. I mean, this is this was picked out by the commission. Is like the Premier League said to them, "Look, you're right up against it here from an FFP point of view. You're already in breach. You know that." And then they had had an agreement whereby the Premier League had to authorize the signing of players, and the Premier League authorized the signing of players and basically said, "Look, you do realize that this is putting you more in trouble." by signing more players. We will authorise it because we can't really stop you, but you're already close to it. You're in trouble. Is this a good idea? And, uh, and that's one of the things that really jumped out to me is that they continue to do it. And it was picked out by the commission in their in their reasoning, wasn't it? That they carried on spending. And there are, there's all sorts of really nuanced argument about the interest payments on the new stadium because that got delayed, didn't it? And you're allowed to sort of write those off when the stadium becomes operational, but not until that point. And it gets, it's very granular. And, um, Probably not worth getting into because I don't understand that well enough. But one of the points that was picked out and is something that football fans can understand is you carried on spending even when you knew you were in trouble. Yes. Yeah. And you've seen that a lot because clubs, or when clubs get into difficulty, quite often think to themselves, try and buy your way out of it and more to the point, kick the can down the road and if this becomes a problem, we'll deal with it at a, a later date. I suppose the the relevant point for Leeds is the compensation situation isn't it and the the suggestion that a bundle of clubs leads included are going to try and seek compensation on the back of this at the same time you've got Everton who are appealing against this and it sounds certainly from reading the piece that our Everton writer um, Paddy Boylan did earlier this week it sounds like one of the things that Everton are going to argue is that there wasn't actually really a sort of sanction structure for this you know it feels like it's been Kind of done on the hoof, or at least... I think that's, you know, e- that's even actually mentioned, isn't it, in the uh, yeah, within the, the ruling um, that, that they specifically devised this sanction structure yeah. for this case. I mean, my gut feeling is that this the penalty will probably get altered on appeal. I don't know if you feel the same. Um, we'll, we'll, I mean, who knows how long that's going to take and what the implications of, of that will be if there is a, a change at late notice. Will it get done for, for this season? Because it's already almost um, December. But there are a clutch of clubs who have been talking about um, seeking compensation from Everton. 
some of whom have been relegated in the meantime, some of whom haven't, like Forrest. Forrest seem to be in the thick of this, although I'm not totally sure what the impact on Forrest has been in a financial sense. For Leeds, I sort of wonder where they stand on this because, I mean, nobody's saying anything about it. Everybody's been very, very tight-lipped, which you'd, you'd totally expect. But Leeds didn't go down in 21-22. So in that sense, you would find it quite difficult to say that it had a, a really adverse effect on them. And I think if somebody was to argue that it was Everton's FFP that sent them down last season as opposed to their own incompetence. That's worth adding, is it? We completely deserved to go down last season. And in, yeah. and in no way does what Everton did change that fact. I don't think we're trying to argue that Leeds no, should have stayed up. No, um, and also I think if you were to say that they spent more than they should have done and, and we would have done the same, it's probably a bit fanciful given that it felt that they were pretty much spent up under Radrazani. You know, it didn't feel like there was much further they could they could go financially. But that, but that said, um, Phil, I think the argument to counter that is that if they've overspent and they've knowingly overspent and were warned against it and they've brought in three players maybe that mm. to balance the books they wouldn't have had, those three players have had a material impact on the season across the whole yeah. season against in every fixture they've played in. Yeah, I think, I think it, that will be surely one of the ways in which... I mean, there seems very little point in arguing that stadium interest payments were the reason, you know, that, that you went down. But it's... I think what you have to show is that there was a sporting advantage from it, which was unfair on the basis that they didn't comply to the rules. And perhaps these clubs can can do it. It'd be, I'm pretty fascinated, actually, to see, firstly, whether or not they go ahead with a compensation claim. Who's actually involved? You know, which clubs get, get involved in it? Because you'll remember that at the end of the 21-22 season, the last few weeks of it, it emerged that Leeds and, and Burnley were looking at compensation claim against Everton. And Leeds abandoned that as soon as they stayed up, which was as if to say, oh, actually, we're no longer bothered because we're still in the Premier League. So I, th- I imagine that there are probably good arguments that Leeds can put forward. There are probably good counter-arguments that Everton could respond with about why Leeds and, and potentially other clubs as well shouldn't get compensation for this. It's a right old mess. And I can't imagine in any way the Premier League like the sight of clubs in their own competition suing each other. But if the grounds are there to do it and it's legitimate to take the case on, then you should. Yeah. Uh, do you think this is another argument for the independent regulator that I know Angus Kinnear is such a, a fan of? Because it strikes me as, regardless of where you stand on the, the whole Everton thing, and the word you use there is mess, Phil, and it is, it's a right old mess. And it's a mess because they've not put anything in place to deal with this. It's, it's kind of, it's assembling the plane in midair almost, isn't mm. it? Whereas, it's how actu- it feels. actually, you look at the EFL and the EFL sanctions for not financially reporting on time, for going into administration, points deductions, all that sort of stuff. You could actually argue, incredibly, that the EFL has its house in order more where financial stuff is concerned than the Premier League. But if you go back to Leeds' administration in 2007, and when they had that 15-point deduction, that process was very much like putting the plane together in midair as well. It was very apparent from the outset that the whole issue of CVAs and and how deductions would be voted on, how it would be decided, what other clubs' um, involvement in that would be, had never really been road tested, you know, and never really been examined legally. And that's what Ken Bates did, though, wasn't it? He drove a coach and horses straight through that, that loophole, basically, because like, there was no nothing set in stone there. So it was like, I'll give this a whirl, see what yeah. happens, and, and, and demonise the AFL uh, as a result. Leeds, you know, Leeds famously lost that completely. You know, the 15-point deduction stood at, at the end of it all. But that felt like it was all being... It felt like it was all being implemented as they went along, and a lot of people sitting around saying, never really done this before, have we, or not like this, and how does it work? And... It does seem a little like the Premier League are in that situation themselves with this. I mean, you can't even begin to guess what's going to happen when they actually get into the depths of the the cases against Manchester City, given how many there are. So I would imagine that that will probably be something that Everton will try to play on quite heavily, will be the question of, was this valid punishment and was it prior to the case and in advance, did the Premier League know how this was going to be handled or actually did they make it up as they went along? There's something seductive about the idea of the whole thing collapsing, isn't there, from a Leeds United point of view, given that we, <laughs> we missed out on 20 years of revenue, effectively, and it's such a struggle to try and break into and get established in, in the Premier League. You know, we made it look incredibly hard work after the initial ninth place, um, ninth place finish. So it'd, yeah. be, it'd be nice to just have the whole thing, the whole house of cards come crashing down. My it? long-standing point of view is I've never wanted us richer, I've wanted everyone else poorer. Yeah. yeah like and that. I, and yeah, I, and yeah, I think just good pull attitude. everyone down yeah. to make it, because you look at the top end of the Premier League and it's it's a mess. It's, the, the, what's going on at Man City and Chelsea is quite transparently ridiculous, but no one can really do anything about it because people just look at it and go, well, 
they've done all these commercial deals, haven't they? I mean, you say top Which, end of the Premier League, Chelsea are 10th, mate. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where they're aiming to be, anyway. Um, I mean, there was a pretty fractious, heated Premier League meeting yesterday, which was Tuesday, where they were trying to agree, disagree on on things like whether or not you can loan from clubs who are part of your own stable, the multi-club ownership groups. There were plenty of people who wanted to oppose that so that, as an example, Ruben Neves can't go to Newcastle in January, but um, it didn't pass. So Ruben Neves probably can go to Newcastle in, in January if that's the way it's going to work well, out. Worth saying that it's been reported that Sheffield United were one of the clubs that opposed it. So you, you need, I think, is it 14 to make things carry in the yes, Premier League? Yes, yeah, I think so, yes. And they fell one short of people objecting to it. But Sheffield United were one of the, 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 the Saudi owned Sheffield United were one of the clubs that, um, that objected to it for whatever reason. The multi-club yeah. model as a whole, for me, should be banned. Mm. I hate it as a concept. I do, yeah. Just if, in terms of entrenching power of already established clubs and taking, maybe not the situation in every country, but in a lot of countries, buying clubs with with histories and their own traditions and stuff and going, well, now you just kind of exist to... You're, just a, to, you're, you're a satellite for yeah. Man City. You exist so we can get a work permit for this player and we can have them in a year's time or whatever. The whole thing stinks. I no, hate it. None of this seems to be doing football any good no. would be my observation. You mentioned the regulator there. There is a feeling in some quarters that this punishment is, um, and, and the severity of it, is precise. that's precisely the point, is to try and ward off a regulator by saying, no, no, you know, we do actually deal with this stuff stringently we have teeth we we will get the hammer out when we need to and we will hit people with it I think the biggest test of that is going to be this city case isn't it which just seems to be vast 115 charges I mean how many how many millions of years is that going to take to get to the end of this all seems like it's probably very good news for lawyers I suspect it is yeah Yeah. there'll be many many people rubbing their hands together going well this is going to go on for years we can we can bill all this well quite a few people have made the point that um David Phillips, KC, was the man who acted for Leeds in the 07-08 arbitration case and the, the minus 15 debacle as well. So, and he's, you know, he's ruled that Leeds have a right to compensation in this one as well. Yes, so well, Ever- he, he was part of the panel who... Um, Everton fans are seeing conspiracy or, or he, perhaps an unfairness to the the um, to the to uh, proceedings. Yeah, that, is, is, that is, feels is, like a stretch, I have to say. Well, I've um, seen loads of it, Phil. Oh, loads no, I, I, no people, I, I've, I've absolutely seen it as well. But I think to suggest that David Phillips is in batting for Leeds would be pretty unfair. Well, no, um, that's what they're suggesting. I'm yeah, not, no, I, no, no, absolutely. But yeah. what I'm saying is it, it just seems like a stretch to, to say that on the basis that almost 20 years ago he acted in a case that Leeds lost, you know, yeah. against the, the FL. I'm, I'm struggling to see that. Although, <laughs> considering the way that these discussions tend to go, particularly online, and it, it, you almost need to have an entire panel of people who have no connection to anything at all. You want people who understand football, but have kind of never been in the middle of it before, and have never, you know, have no allegiance or tie to any club anywhere. It's kind of difficult. But the city case, it just seems to me that could go on forever. I mean, I'm I'm totally fueled by tribalism in this, in that I would quite like to see them have all their league titles stripped, and (laughs) there is like you know, in the Tour de France when Lance Armstrong was found to have cheated and doped, they just had no winner for that stretch of years. I think it'd be fitting for the Premier League and what it's become. To just have no winner for that year, that year, that year, that year. It'd be funny. There was a rugby league club in Australia who got done like that, wasn't there? Was it the Canterbury Bulldogs or something like that who lost a load of trophies? Because I think they'd breached the salary cap or something like that. I knowledge that isn't vast, must admit. <laughs> but I think it I think it was them and I think that's what what happened. But again, it would be it would be absolutely extraordinary that I mean speaking speaking of tribalism and I'm guilty of doing that. It was like I've got a Newcastle mate who sent me something about uh it was basically New- Newcastle fans bragging and laughing about the fact that this had been allowed to sail through at the Premier League meeting and it's how quickly Oh well the connected club Yeah, it's like thing. What, yeah. A, what a great thing to celebrate. Mm. Just it's like who can I don't know outspend each other to to get to the top. It's just I don't know the whole thing's grubby and awful, isn't it? And I don't know what it is I'm yearning for specifically. Maybe it's just a a simpler, purer version of football that I, I experienced growing up, but it, it ain't that. No, I mean, I don't, I don't want to pretend that, that 49ers are like a charitable enterprise, <laughs> you know, like NGOs, but I do quite like the fact that Leeds are not state-owned or don't have any of that in the background. Um, yeah, I have seen Newcastle fans make this argument online, though, when they've gone, when people have said, you're owned by the Saudis, and people have gone, well, America invaded Iraq. I mean, it's like, yeah, but it wasn't the it wasn't the San Francisco 49ers that did that. That was that was a bit different. That, that, that was a little bit different, but 
Yeah, these things are <laughs> like you say, burn the whole thing down, round yeah. and round in circles. And um, I think I say we'll we'll get back, get back to the Premier League either this year or next year, whenever it may be. Hopefully, you know we get to win this and just never go up because it's awful, isn't it? I hate it up there, but we have to be there. Or, or maybe we just need to get good at it, I don't know. As I say, it's very hard to know what to think of this Everton punishment in the same way as it's very hard to know what to think of the compensation claims that, that might be forthcoming. The same kind of applies to Southampton. Seems seems a little bit brash to be saying, yeah, you know, it's Everton's fault, really. Last I mean, season, you, but... get the, you get the sense maybe Leeds from this will maybe get a bit of cash for yeah. Premier League finishing positions. So yeah, even, even still though, is it worth getting two, four million quid, whatever it might be that, well, you know, if you argue that the points deduction should have come into, into four sooner and you might have finished a place higher, still two million quid, isn't it? Yeah. I yeah, mean, money, I'd, I'd, accept, I'd accept two million quid. You'd have that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I would too. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll wrap the show up there. Enjoy the, the Rotherham trip on Friday. Uh, one to watch very quickly then before we uh, before we finish the show for the game on, on Friday. Is it left back? It, it is left back. I think yeah. it's going to have to be Firpo if he starts. How does he do? I want to see it's it. It's not a bad game to come in for. I want to see I mean, senior I Firpo. That, but, you know. Senior Firpo on Friday. Let's see. Let's see. Um, we'll reconvene Monday, yeah? And we'll uh, we'll have a natter and uh, catch up about that and preview Swansea as well as we head into the the next round of midweek fixtures and we settle in for the long winter as well. No more international breaks now until March. Yeah, yeah, it's a long old trek. These games are going to be pretty critical. We'll see you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5 in 1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 